a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, it's Tuesday. That's the day that I welcome my friend Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com to join me on the show. Eric, how are you today? Well, I'm good, Brian. I think I'm in the mood to go down to the bad part of town and uh, go into an alley and subject myself to a beatdown and open my wallet for the first mugger that comes along. (laughs) And heaven help anybody who tries to help you or defend you, right? (laughs) Well, they better not. If they do, I hope they're going to get arrested and charged. Yeah, I I sent Eric uh, a story that I picked up off of X a couple of days ago about a woman who was being mugged in New York, and apparently, um, well, a guy stepped in and intervened, tried to stop her mugger, uh, produced a gun, actually shot warning shots, and now the woman is complaining, saying, well, it scared me that he had a gun. I wish he didn't use it. (laughs) It's pathological, isn't it? And, you know, as as we're talking about it, there's an interesting juxtaposition that pops into my mind. Let's go back to the 80s. Do you remember Bernie Getz? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah the so-called subway vigilante. And this was a guy who had been attacked by uh, criminals in the subway system and finally had enough, and he got himself a gun to protect himself. And when he got attacked the next time, he shot a couple of these creeps. And uh, he, too, of course, was prosecuted. But at that time, public sympathy was overwhelmingly on the side of Bernie Getz. Now, you know, fast forward 40 years, and we've got a public that seems to relish in its own victimization and adulates the criminals to victimize people. And and by the way, the guy who pulled the gun and chased off the crazed homeless mugger um, was arrested and now is facing a weapon offense thanks to, you know, the good city government there in New York. Yeah, a felony charge. I, you know, I saw him in manacles being led away as if this guy's a criminal. That's how twisted things have gotten in this country where an ordinary citizen who is attempting to protect another person from being victimized and who didn't even hurt anybody in the process is somehow <laughs> considered by the system to be, quote unquote, a criminal. I love this quote, too, from the actual mugging victim, and I'm still trying to understand it. Yes, I do think he's a hero, but I don't know. I would like to to uh, think he's a bigger hero if he tried to help me without the gun. In my eyes, the gun is a little extreme. <laughs> yeah, oy vey. And, you know, the thing to me, again, that's most depressing and dispiriting about it is apparently they, uh, they caught the Good Samaritan by uh, the police uh, – you know, asking the public to narc on him and that there were actually people out there who would do that as opposed to doing everything they could to make sure that person, quote unquote, got away with it. Yeah, it's uh, like you like you say, uh, that's this is what Stockholm syndrome looks like. Mm -hmm. And if if this woman, you know, we understood what Stockholm syndrome was back in the time of Patty Hearst, you know, people who are young, maybe, and who don't know about Patty Hearst, she was a woman who got kidnapped by these uh, by a radical group called the Symbionese Liberation Army, and uh, they succeeded after a while in brainwashing her to believe that they were her friends, and they actually got her to participate in bank robberies along with them. I'm still just blown away by the idea that, you know, this this woman's being mugged, and here somebody steps in to help her, but, well, it would have been better if he didn't have a gun. And I just wonder, does her logic extend to the state or does something magically happen when someone in a you know state costume appears with a gun? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, people have been conditioned to venerate their jackbooted masters because only the jackbooted masters can be entrusted with the means of self-defense. And, you know, with this guy, you know, it wasn't enough that this guy put his own neck on the line to help her. You know, he was supposed to potentially put away anything that gave him an advantage over a criminal thug who, you know, very likely was armed himself and somehow just, you know, I'll, I'll just go at him with my fists and, you know, that'll turn out really well. You know, the average person against uh, a professional criminal is probably a, a vicious street thug who has knives and guns and and knows how to hurt people. Here, here. Well, there's, there's a lesson in there somewhere. I'm not sure what it is. In fact, I'm not sure I feel totally safe in trying to, to describe what that lesson is, but it probably rhymes a lot with uh, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just grateful that I don't live in New York. I, I can't imagine what it must be like for a, an ordinary citizen who doesn't want to be a criminal and so therefore goes unarmed into the New York City subway system. You know, I've been there. I've been to New York, and you know, it was many years ago, and the subway there is a very scary place. And, you know, it's a place now where it's fairly common for people to get pushed onto the tracks by, right. by psychopaths. Right. You know, and so, you know, this is the world that these people live in, and it's the world that they seem to want a lot of them. Well, I'm like you. I, uh, I love it here in flyover country and will continue to love it in flyover country uh, for, for this, among many other reasons. Yeah, you know, this is the same part of the country, frankly. It's a generalization, but it's true. Uh, the pathologies that afflict this country are predominantly to be found in the urban areas. That is where the the disease process is most advanced, and I'm not sure how we cure it. Well, I can tell you there are a lot of people who have found their way to uh, my home state of Idaho <laughs> in order mm-hmm. to escape. Yeah. And, and frankly, I welcome the vast majority of them, because I understand this, this is a little island of freedom, you know, in an otherwise, uh, you know, rapidly unfree world. Yeah, I have my fingers crossed because it's the same in my rural area, which, which the population has increased markedly over the past couple of years. And my hope is that the, uh, the people who have fled the, these blue areas have learned their lesson and aren't bringing their pathology here and to where you are. Yep. It's it's very interesting. There there's a huge um, legislative struggle right now within the Idaho legislature, and it's the Republicans. And 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 the problem is, you have a lot of Republicans who, uh, you know, they come election time, they they say the words. Why they tell you, I'm a fiscal conservative. I support the Second Amendment, yeah. lower taxes. But when it comes to actually how they perform when they're in the act of legislating, they are big government. Uh, crony capitalism, let's take care of the special interest first kind of politician, politicians, you know, they're, they're the worst of, of the bunch. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the fundamental problem is that we have a uniparty. We don't have an alternative party right now, not really, here, here. Uh, to, to statism and to authoritarianism. And you know, every time the election comes around, it's the same old thing, just like you said, and we end up uh, with more of the same. Um, I view the Republican Party today uh, much the same as the Whig Party of uh, circa 1856. It's it's a party that's outlived its usefulness, and I think it's just sort of carrying on now by inertia, and I foresee uh, an alternative to it. Hopefully, I think it's necessary um, uh, coming in to, to replace it, some kind of a party that's nationalist, that's for America, that's for Americans, uh, and that actually has some principles with regard to liberty and freedom that it's willing to stand up for. And if we don't get that, then we're, we're, we're just completely SOL. Yep, I'm, uh, well, 
like I say, I'm, I'm encouraged by what I see in my neighbors, not so encouraged by what I see in politicians, and, and I'm probably probably never going to move to a big city now as a result. So there you go, big sure. city people, you're safe. Sure. You know, the, I think the core problem with, with the Republican Party as a party is its poltroonery, that it's afraid of standing for anything except that which the left stands for, though somewhat more moderately. And that, that's like a, a guaranteed recipe for losing. And as long as, as long as our side wants to continue losing, well, that's the course to follow. So I know this is pure speculation, but Eric, we've got just under a year to go until the 2024 election. Speculate for me. How different is this country going to look a year from now? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. You know, it, it could go all kinds of different ways. Uh, I don't know whether we'll even have a le- an election, you know, depending on the way the world events are going, the way the economy could go. Uh, I do know, uh, I do think anyway, that if we have a repeat of 2020 and the authoritarian left pulls it off again, then we will have descended into full-blown banana republicanism, where the government is weaponized against the people, and God help those of us who aren't on the woke left. Boy, and it's it's been been moving that direction ever since, actually, I guess the election of 2020, right? Criminalize yeah, half the know, country. I was watching something. I was watching something the other day. Uh, who was it? I think it was Jen Psaki. That's who it was. And there are others in her camp. The former uh, White House press flag, uh, uh, shrieking about how if Trump is somehow reelected, then there'll be gulags for political opponents who will be hounded by the government. And I, it just I, my, my jaw dropped to the floor, and I was speechless for a moment. You know, this is. This is the projection of the left, which does exactly that. And I'm not carrying water for the argument, but we have the objective fact that the left has weaponized the government and goes after its political opponents with the mechanisms of the state. Yeah, there's no doubt that the federal government has been weaponized against anybody who stands up against tyranny. Kind of a kind of a scary place to be. Including other leftists. You know, you probably are, are hip to what's happening in New York with Eric Adams, you know, who, who deviated from the orthodoxy by actually being exasperated and criticizing some of the uh, the immigration policies. And now, conveniently, he's under investigation. Do you think that would have happened if he had towed the line? I am so surprised, I say, with absolute sarcasm. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> right. Just, you know, times are crazy. So this is why Eric and I have these weekly conversations to try to help make sense of it all. Um, Eric, when we come back, let's talk a little bit about uh, the kill switch legislation. Um, We've got a couple other things that we want to talk about. Again, Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. If you check the show notes, you'll find a link there. Again, that's show notes for November 14th, 2023. You can find it at the brianheidshow.com. Back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. We are talking with Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com today. All right, Eric, last week there was talk about... uh, a kill switch legislation. I think we, we, we talked about this on the show. Um, Thomas Thomas Massey was opposing it. What's the status at this point? Well, it, it's uh, his effort to derail it was defeated, and so it proceeds apace. And, you know, if it ends up coming into fruition, which I think that it will, um, I think it could be the kill switch for the car industry, frankly. You know, this might be a bridge too far for a lot of people in that uh, once it uh, becomes uh, aware, once people become aware of the fact that their car is no longer really their car, that 
It will be controlled by uh, the, the, the company that sold it to you, by the government, by the insurance mafia, anybody but you. Your driving is going to be supervised and controlled at all times by external third parties. Who finds that appealing? Would you want to buy a car with that kind of technology in it? I know I wouldn't. I think a lot of people are just going to say, that's it. I'm out. I'm going to keep whatever car I've got. I'm going to pour whatever money I need to pour into it to keep it going, but I want no part of this this technology. Yeah, I actually had a couple of friends reach out over the last few days and and share the you know the article on the the kill switch legislation and and the comment from all of them was well I guess I'll stick with my old car from here on out absolutely absolutely you know people also ought to understand um, that a lot of the pieces the elements of this technology are already in a lot of new cars uh, I make a great effort to explain this to people most new cars current model year you know not the 2026s but the current ones have things like advanced speed limit assistance technology and brake assist technology, stuff like that. And right now, those things are just sort of annoying in that they will do things like flash a light on the dash or a chime or some other thing. But they can be uh, enabled to do things like throttle back your driving. That's what happens in Europe with advanced speed limit assist. If you drive faster than the speed limit, the throttle pushes back, the engine RPMs fall, and the car slows down. And that's one mechanism by which they're going to control your driving. And I'm convinced, too, that the next thing that they're going to do is weaponize your telemetry, all the data that your car is transmitting about you and how you're driving. Why not let the insurance mafia have access to that so they know whether you're a safe driver or not and then uh, then done you accordingly? Oh, man. Big Brother wants to be with me, and I'm I'm feeling smothered. It's suffocating, isn't it? And it's so cloying and it's so dishonest. Uh, you know, Massey uh, attempted to explain this to people. They, they have marketed this. They, meaning Biden and, and his people and the leftists who are favoring this stuff, including Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, you know, they frame this as, oh, it's only going to be about impaired driving, which is grotesquely misleading and dishonest. You know, they're trying to convince people that this is, oh, it's just an innocent thing to deal with these problematic drunk drivers. no. It's about driver performance. You read the language of the actual uh, edict, and that's what it says. It says performance. And then the question is, well, what does that mean? And, of course, what it means is that you perform within the parameters that they decree to, decree to be acceptable, and it has nothing to do with whether you've had anything to drink or not. Wow. Well, we've got, let's, let's shift gears one more time. There was an article that you had, uh, had written about uh, paying it forward. And yep. and I really really liked this because uh, well it has to it has to do with money. Talk to me a little bit about yep. better than paying it forward. Yeah, paying it forward is one of those expressions that people use to talk about doing a good deed. You know, in in, in anticipation of trying to get good karma. I guess is what what the thing means. And and we are facing this problem of potentially having our money digitized, electronicized, and so taken out of our physical control and put into the control of these central banks, the government, which is essentially the same thing, which will then have the ability to completely monitor everything that we do in terms of our transactions and to control those transactions. So how do we pay it forward? Well, we pay it forward by not using electronic money. Use cash. Insist on paying with cash, uh, including at places that refuse to accept it because they have to by law. It is still legal currency. It says so right there on the money. Legal for all debts, public and private. Give it to them, and if they don't accept it, just take your goods and leave. What are they going to do? You paid for them using the coin of the realm, so to speak. 
really, really important to not let convenience, you know, the ease of, oh, I just have to tap my credit card on the little device and it'll pay me. You know, I don't have any paper. Don't do that. Convenience is this, this really subtle narcotic that they're using to get people to accept their own insurfment. Boy, that is the case. And, you know, I always thought, well, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just being obstinate or I'm being slow. I was the last member of my family to start using a debit card. But now yeah. I'm starting to understand, no, it's because I have this this suspicion about yep. you know, where it's going. Well, I mean, if we've learned anything at all over the past three plus years now, it's that these institutions, these uh, these machines, these implacable machines, the, you know, the entities of corporate America and the government cannot be trusted. They do not have our best interests at heart. They're not benevolent. You know, and look at what we've done with cell phones. You know, everybody got a cell phone because at first, oh, look how neat it is. I can make a phone call in my car. I can send a picture to somebody. You know, it's so fun. Yay. And now you know, we are aware of the fact that we're being tracked by these things and we're being pushed into having to have a cell phone. It's no longer simply, hey, this would be a neat device to have. It's getting to the point where you can't function in society anymore unless you have one of these things. That's what they're going to try to do with this digitized currency. And if they succeed, then they'll be able to make you obey. Imagine a future lockdown where they can turn off your ability to buy anything if you're not obedient. That's what we're facing. And based on what we have seen from these same types of people in the last three years, you know, you know they're going to do it. It's not like, oh, it's a bluff. Of course. They're not going to really do it. No, they, they will do that and more. You remember what they already did to us, that we have the object example of what they did to us and what they wanted to do to us. And if we have another lockdown, can you imagine, like, you know, during the lockdown, I didn't have to put on a face diaper because I was able to go about my business without, uh, you know, without having to bend knee to it. I was able to buy things. I was able to function in my work and so on. But, you know, it would have been much a much harder decision for me uh, if I had literally been unable to buy food or pay my bills uh, or get paid. You know, I probably still wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have given in, but it would have been a whole lot harder. And a lot of people would not have been able to as a practical matter. Because they got to take care of their kids and their families, and that's the pressure and that's the lever that they want to be able to have to use against us. Got about two minutes left here, Eric, and I'm going to ask, let's mm-hmm. take this to a little more positive place. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's going crazy and spiraling out of control. Tell me about something that gives you hope. What's something you've seen within recent memory that makes you go, you know what, I'm encouraged by this? <laughs> My Trans Am. There we go. <laughs> the need for I'm speed. Actually, <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and just the need for control. This is a little <laughs> a little flippant, but it's fun. You ask for something fun, here it is. Uh, I'm going to go out either today or tomorrow and give my rear tires a Viking funeral, meaning I'm going to burn them up <laughs> because they're almost they're almost out of tread. I've got a new new set to replace them with, and there's no traction control or advanced safety technology in the Trans Am, so I'm going to light them up and let them go. But more broadly and more seriously, I think uh, the thing that carries me through these depressing times is that never in my life, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, have the heretical ideas that you and I talk about often become so commonplace. You know, you, you go back to the 90s, and if you mentioned libertarianism, people would look at you funny. What is that? You must be a hippie who wants to smoke pot all day. The ideas are being taken seriously and being considered by a lot more people. It's not by any means a majority, but it's a lot more people now than I think it ever has been. Yeah, it's to the point that uh, the people who really wish to remain in power, the uniparty types... They're trying to find the right uh, epithet. You, know, to, you yep. guys are Christian nationalist, uh, anarchist, libertarian, you know, as if, uh, you know, you're some kind of African warlord come over here to run amok and cause trouble. 
yeah, people are beginning to connect the dots and to think in terms of principles. By no means everybody, but I think a lot more people now uh, than have been uh, in any time in my lifetime that I can remember, you know, being from the time of when I was in high school back in the 80s all the way up to now. Amazing. Eric, I appreciate the work that you do and uh, the fact that you uh, you crank out some really tremendous commentary week in and week out. Um, I'll encourage uh, my listeners, go to your website. I've got a link in the show notes. And uh, till we talk again uh, next week, thanks again for uh, for your weekly uh, chats. Oh, likewise, Brian, and look forward to our next one. All right. Again, that's Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com. By the way, don't just read the article. Take a look at the comments. Eric has some really, really sharp readers. You'll learn a lot from the comments as well as from the articles themselves. Again, there's a link in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I know there are many, many voices out there, all speaking the truth as best they understand it. I'm just doing my part. I don't claim to have cornered the market. I'm just, I'm just here to uh, try to give you good information and hopefully information that at the end of the day leaves you more certain of who you are and what you stand for, as opposed to just simply who or what you're against. There's so much of this thinking going on. I actually saw an article earlier today about, uh, you know, what, uh, what is it going to be like? What, are, what is our country going to be like, you know, a year from now, coming out of the, the 2024 election? And, and the crazy thing about it is, you know, um, I think the, the chances are pretty good. We're looking at a very, very different country a year from now. Now, I'm not saying that to be scary or, you know, to be edgy. Just look at all the different pieces that are that are lining up here and ask yourself, is this likely to get better or worse between now and this time next year? And again, acknowledging reality is not gonna is not wishing for bad things to happen. It's just just understanding that, yeah, there's there's a lot that could go crazy. And uh, I know we we hear it every election year, you know, this is the most important election in American history. I think this one is actually going to be, this is going to be one of those that will, will tell us whether or not, you know, America is going to, to survive. Frankly, as, as far as our government goes, I don't know that it's going to. And that may sound like a horrible thing to say, but, you know, it's, it's so rotten. You know, why, why should we pretend otherwise? So, let's, uh, let's take a moment here and talk about... Uh, Ah, this is a good one. This is something that you're going to have to to learn to to live with if you are a person who is serious about uh, spotting and avoiding tyranny. Now, I know for some people it's it's well, why would you want to do that? You just you know just lean into it and it'll get better the next time you vote. No, I think uh, actually if you're one of the very few people still capable of spotting tyranny. Most people are just, you know, interested in what's on TV or, you know, what their their favorite sports ball team is going to do. But if you take an interest in either avoiding tyranny or standing up to tyranny, you have a target on your back. I've got a great article here from J.B. Shirk from AmericanThinker.com. If you oppose tyranny, you're on the FBI's AGAAVE list. 
That stands for Anti-Government, Anti-Authority, Violent Extremist List. By the way, anybody who uh, sees that that word, agave, <laughs> thinks it must be Tequila Tuesday, you, you could be uh, forgiven. J.B. Shirk says, as if locking up J6 uh, protesters for their political beliefs and repeatedly arresting President Trump for opposing the deep state hadn't been a big enough clue... America's KGB goon squad revealed last month it has a whole new domestic terrorism category specifically created to target MAGA voters. Now, he says it's always disconcerting to find more proof that the FBI is every bit the dangerous, psychotic, anti-American organization that it appears. Shirk says, whenever I refer to it as the fascist Bureau of Intimidation, a little voice in my head asks, now, is that completely fair or is that entirely fair? But he says, then I see how it's anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist, you know, list has half the population on a terrorist watch list. And I realized, no, I'm not being critical enough. He says, this agency is the Soviet, is Soviet Russia's Cheka secret police through and through. And he says, it's curious to show what a commie, curious, shock troop loving, a big government monstrosity the United States Leviathan has become when its premier law enforcement agency thinks that people opposed to authoritarianism are the real problem. Now, Shirk says the founding fathers, who no doubt have rolled over so many times in their graves these last two decades to have awakened half the spirits on the East Coast, bequeathed a political legacy grounded in the abiding truth that no form of government can be trusted. Being anti-government and anti-authority, that was kind of the crux of a liberty movement that appreciated the corrupting influences of power and the malicious inclinations of those who successfully hoard it. He says, opposing entrenched government authority is so crucial for overall political stability. In fact, the Constitution itself slices and dices legal powers into competing state and federal offices, while the Bill of Rights takes great pains to explicitly protect Americans' inherent rights to speak freely and arm themselves in defense against government tyranny. Boy, there's an unpopular truth, but it is a truth. Together, the First and Second Amendments are a combination punch meant to empower ordinary Americans against the inevitable excesses and mischief of government authority. But according to the FBI, however, America's most ardent defenders of the Bill of Rights are now simply the Bureau's most wanted. Warning, citizens, be on the lookout for all those dangerous constitutionalists so fond of waving the American flag out of a chivalrous devotion to the land of the free and the home of the brave. See, for America's Cheka FBI, if you aren't kneeling during the national anthem, you might just be a threat. Now, on the surface, it seems perfectly reasonable to target violence. But in this postmodern America where words have lost their true meaning, language is now public enemy number one. Have you ever said anything politically incorrect? Have you ever dared to explain to the gullibly indoctrinated that biological sex is real? And that transgenderism is another mass delusion? Have increased violent crime and uh, has... has uh, <clears throat> have you ever publicly expressed your opinion that open border policies have increased violent crime or destroyed once happy communities? then according to the FBI's newspeak, you have used your words to perpetuate violence. Yeah, you thought you were just exercising your right to free speech. But to the FBI's jackbooted thought police, J.B. Shirk says you are shooting off hate-tipped bullets like a deranged terrorist. Right now, the fetid Bureau of Identity Politics is working with its censorship partners in Homeland Security. 
<clears throat> to seek out and destroy offending speech. So if Big Brother hasn't approved your nouns, verbs, and adjectives, then the FBI treats your sentences as if they were armed and dangerous. Books still burn at 451 degrees Fahrenheit, but today's federal feelings enforcers can expunge entire publications with the stroke of a key. Oh, and don't forget about extremism. That's the government's catch-all criminal offense meant to scoop up every American still in possession of a functioning brain. J6 grandmas on a pension? Huh. Catholic parishioners, concerned public school parents, nobody is safe. But don't think too creatively or you might color outside the lines of government-engineered conformity. Don't question expert consensus too boisterously. You may find yourself declared insane. J.B. Shirk says the state is like a factory interested in producing identical citizen units. And any unit that performs in an unsanctioned manner must be chucked into the recycle bin until it learns to behave. He says extremism is now now a newspeak definition for any person who continues to malfunction, that is, any person who insists on thinking for himself. How far the FBI has fallen. It once investigated actual crimes. Now it spends all its time trying to gag its critics. It remains on a perpetual hunt for scary words that cause rhetorical violence and any extreme opinion that counters the official orthodoxy of the state. By the way, here's a pro tip from J.B. Shirk. If your words must be whispered to avoid persecution, then you must be a violent extremist. If you shout them from the rooftops, then you've gone full anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist, and you're going to have to be squashed like a grape. Now, he says it's those of us who've been stricken with the anti-government, anti-authority of violent extremism that are officially enemies of the state. Then being anti-agave must make you a super-duper citizen. So how do you earn that social credit score? Easy. You just have to be a pro-government, pro-authority, bootlicking, politically correct, obedient, unoriginal, and bland human being. Like some class pet, eager to follow every rule. The FBI's ideal American believes everything he's told and never disobeys. Isn't it amazing that so many hippy-dippy teenagers who fought the man during the 60s and 70s grew up to be more authoritarian than anything they experienced in their youth? Isn't it surreal that so many of them produce children who embrace authoritarianism as a quasi-religion? Just what kind of counterculture creates generations of government bureaucrats who instinctively demand that Americans do exactly as they're told? It's like every one of those make love, not war, pseudo-rebels just was another teenage Hitler screaming to get out. And given how many of them now bend over backwards to defend Hamas while blaming Jews for their own torture and suffering, it seems obvious to anyone with a working mind that the people most likely to define themselves as anti-fascist are in fact the fascists of the worst kind, today. Shirk says there will one day be a reckoning when those who have aided and abetted this pernicious American police state find themselves in the dock. The government's program of censorship, political persecution, and human rights abuses will be judged, and people will gasp in disbelief as they learn how much the FBI has betrayed the Constitution. And J.B. Shirk says, those who are now complicit with their silence will be asked, why did you not oppose government tyranny when you had the chance. That's a pretty powerful piece, but it's a really powerful question. And I'm going to ask you, what will your answer be? What would you tell your kids? What would you tell your grandkids when they ask, did you stand up against, you know, the tyranny? Did you even recognize it as such? The fact you're listening to this show makes me think, yeah, you did. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I'm still reeling a little bit from uh, J.B. Shirk's article just because it, it really calls out the reasons why we should stand up. Look, there is, there's no risk-free way to do it. There is no polite way where everybody will be, you know, nodding their heads and thoughtfully going, well played, good sir. Yes, you've done a good job. Nope. You stand up against tyranny, people are going to hate you. People are going to um, decry you. They're going to call for you to be killed. They're going to call for you to be put in jail. Yeah, the nice ones will ask for you to be killed, but the really bad ones want you to suffer for disagreeing with them. It's a crazy time, and yet we have some really serious problems, too. Um, You know, by this time next year, I I mentioned before, things could look quite different. Think about this. What What if Donald Trump catches a felony conviction as a result of, you know, the the many charges that have been filed against him. I think most of these are frivolous. I think this is just the establishment's way of trying to keep Trump from running. But what if he what if he catches a felony? I know Trump has promised that, you know, when I become president, I'm going to shut that border down. There's going to be mass roundups and deportations and so forth. And the crisis at the southern border, I have to reluctantly agree, it is a crisis. Look, if I can just confess, I'm much more of an open borders person. I think people should be free to travel where and when they wish to travel. And and in my opinion, it should be about as hard to get across the border as it is to cross a state line. Now, I understand there are complications with the welfare state, the big bird feeder that we built that, that attracts people. But we we have enough homegrown domestic birds feeding at that feeder that it, it doesn't seem like, well, we can blame it all on everybody coming across. Certainly, they're coming across and wanting to take advantage of that bird feeder. After all, that's why it was built. But I have a real problem with the idea of, well, what we need to do is turn this into Fortress America. Build a big wall, put men with machine guns up on that wall, round up anybody who doesn't belong here and ship them out. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? I know, but Brian, we're talking Donald Trump here. I, I don't care. Building a wall around this nation, turning it into an open-air prison, is going to be a very easy accomplishment. But again, I don't know if people are looking that far down the road, right? They're seeing the, the border problem. They're seeing the Biden administration turning a blind eye to letting literally millions of people come across our border, a surprising number of military age males among those millions crossing the border on the regular I know, it's, if, if it weren't for what happened a little over a month ago in Israel, it probably wouldn't strike me as, ooh, that could be a problem. But it could. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to uh, get crazy, but it's not crazy enough that we should hand absolute power you know, to Donald Trump to be our man on horseback and solve this. I'm not stumping against Trump or whoever's running against him. I'm just saying... Building walls and putting men with machine gun on those walls may sound very noble. Like, well, they're defending us against, you know, the onslaught of the, you know, the infidels, the godless hordes that are, you know, coming to our country. But look, all that has to happen is for the men with machine guns on those walls to turn from looking outward and start looking inward. And essentially, you've turned them into prison guards instead of border guards. Does that make sense? I hope so. All right, a couple things I want to share here in the closing moments of this uh, program. Article of the day is from Jeff Thomas. And he makes a very strong case the days of the U.S. government, the U.S. empire, 
are numbered. Which, you know, to me, that is a sigh of relief. I think that the U.S. empire is not a source of good in the world. I think actually it's caused a lot of mischief and continues to cause a great deal of mischief and, and even bloodshed. And that's sad because that's very far from the ideals on which my beloved country was founded. And I very carefully separate my country and its principles from its government. They're not the same thing. They are not interchangeable, you know, synonymous things. But you got to be careful, even if the, the U.S. government is a dying, you know, beast. Dying beasts can do an awful lot of damage. And that's what Jeff Thomas talks about is beware. It may be going to its extinction, but it's thrashing around like a dinosaur that knows it's on its way out. And if we're not careful, the U.S. government could do a lot of damage, even if it's running on empty. Marvelous, marvelous article from Jeff Thomas from International Man. I'm going to finish up, though, with uh, James Howard Kunstler, Light in the Darkness. He's got a great take on the passing scene. And he starts with a quote from Amy Therese on Twitter. I hope you realize the ideological brainworms possessing group narcissists preclude condemnation of anything done in the name of the cause, no matter how evil. The ends justify the means, no matter how depraved. This is why you can't reason with them. Ideology binds and blinds. Yeah, that next election's going to be a great one, isn't it? J- James Howard Kunstler says, The sun is low on the horizon all day now, and darkness creeps in like a home invasion of your mind. Demons descend through a red and black sky. No help is on the way. Our country is so mentally hogtied, trying to unravel the twisted events of just a few years past, that it has no mojo left for rationally anticipating the events of just a few years ahead. Have you ever felt more alone, he asks. Kunstler says this is the end process that we've been softened up for. The inability to think and plan. The gigantic intel community evolved from something intended to act as sensitized antenna for detecting threats against our republic into what is now a remorseless, mind-effing operation against our republic. That word, by the way, derives from the Latin res publica, the public thing. A society that literally belongs to the people who decide its affairs. Now, so much is mysteriously decided for us, and not in any good way. He says it's no wonder more than half the country can't think straight. And it's a whopping irony that this group comprises most of our country's thinking class. The bureaucratic managers, the professors, the curators, the editors, the reporters lost in misreporting, this group used to play a critical role in the res publica to earnestly determine what is true and what is real and to present us with a way of understanding all so that we can think and plan. But they appear to be captured by malign forces, says Kunstler. The scribes are hard at work defending every act of official malice. The dishonesty at work is epic. You need a decoder ring just to keep your mind right. And you probably are desperate to understand why this is happening. How, for instance, a blatantly corrupt and ignorant attorney general in New York State can get away with bringing a politically motivated nonsense case against the leading presidential candidate in a courtroom ruled by a judge who acts like a jester in a Shakespeare play. New York AG Letitia James gets away with it because the flagship organ of the thinking class, the New York Times, is in on the gambit. But why? Kunstler says we need to sort this out. One explanation is that the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, has infiltrated the management of our company at every level so as to eventually conquer our territory for its resources while eliminating or enslaving the population. Now, surely the CCP has made significant inroads, starting with the successful bribery and compromise of Joe Biden, probably other elected officials too. 
Eric Swalwell, look in your direction. Placing many CCP agents in the vast array of university research departments, NGOs, PACs, and lobbying gangs, and extending to the purchase of vital businesses and farmland to prepare the game board for eventual takeover. Now, he says, my opinion is they've accomplished a good bit of this, but that's not the answer you're seeking. Another popular idea out there is that a sinister cartel or cabal Cabal, rather, composed of the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, the EU, and a clack of super-rich megalomaniacs like Bill Gates, George Soros, Mark Zuckerberg, is trying to usher in the so-called transhumanist next chapter of human history. But he says that scheme is so full of preposterous contradictions that it remains hard to take seriously. The main one is that their engineered collapse of techno-industrial civilization would destroy the very network of complex systems that might support their supposed cyborg nirvana. The third theory is that the USA has somehow gone communist. Universities have for sure, but in a most half-assed way imaginable that presents more of as a case of collective mental illness than a true political ideology. So what's going on is all these players are now desperate to evade the blame for and consequences of their many crimes. Kunstler says hundreds of top bureaucrats and elected officials will be liable for prosecution for monstrous acts of perfidy and treason against our Republic and its citizens. He says the New York Times and other compliant news outlets that lied about everything from Russian collusion to election fraud to the safety of COVID-19 vaccines to protect their fumbling allies in power are desperate to save their reputations knowing that will be impossible as the truth eventually unfolds, and it will. He says their knowing lies did real and lasting harm to the public thing. So, Kunstler says, Take heart in these darkening days. The light will not be extinguished. It will return, as everything does in this universe of endless cycles. A nation nation turned upside down, he says, will find its feet again. The wicked will answer. And he says the counter-revolution has begun. You are not alone. Yeah, I know. He starts out painting a pretty bleak picture, but he also tells us. I was trying to think of a polite way to say the fat lady hasn't sung yet, but there is no polite way to say it. But she hasn't sung yet. By the way, get right with God. Because if if this is going to have a positive end, he's going to be the reason. This is The Brian Hyde Show.